This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Signals from the Frontline. You're every Wednesday live cast here on Twitch. For those of you joining us live, the show is at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always fun to chat with you in the Twitch chat. And for those of you joining us via the YouTubes, the all the other goodies and ways to get your podcast or watch it on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment, but only if it's positive, because we have fragile egos and can't stand criticism. That's true. <laughs> if that was true, I would have quit a long time ago. Also true. <laughs> uh, as always, this show is brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org, where you can get your tabletop gaming goodies at a discount all the days of the week. It's also a part of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network, the FLGN, where you can listen to other shows such as Chapter Tactics, 40K Stat Center, and of course, The Art of War. Good stuff. Oh boy. It's been a busy, busy month. Uh, I am your host, Reese, aka Reeseus. With me is the Rhino, Mr. Pablo. And let's jump on in because there's so much going on. It's hard to even, you know, keep my bearings because it always gets busy for us between like Black Friday and basically a couple weeks after the LVO is always madness. But then on top of that, this year, we're also moving everything. So it's, <clears throat> it's been a challenge. And moving out of, a, out of state, for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with it or maybe live in another country, it's, it's almost like moving to another country. Not quite as complicated because, you know, citizenship and such, but you have to, like, redo everything by a new set of rules, learn the rules. So it's, uh, it's rather challenging, but um, we're getting there. We're, we're, almost, we're about two weeks away from being done with the whole process so yeah and, and not just for us too but for the company right there's there's other stuff that frontline gaming has to do as a company as well uh and, and reese is manning all that thankfully well, frankie and my and i between the two of us have been doing it but yeah it's like you have to dissolve your corporation in one state reincorporate there's all these new rules you have to like you know move all your business licenses everything and uh and then on individual levels we have to get new driver's license we have to get new you know all that stuff um so it, it's rather it's a rather hectic thing to be doing in the best of times but when you're doing it at the busiest time of the year for your business it's extra hectic so not complaining at all just kind of like venting a little bit i think we're i think we're just letting people know that we're busy um, it's crazy busy yeah. that, that's that's pretty much it so at any uh, at any rate let's jump on in and start talking about what's new and cool in the Games Workshop Hobby World. If you want to scroll down on those notes there a little bit, buddy. Mm. So this week's pre-order is the same as last week's, essentially. There's a ton of stuff. Aeronautica Imperialis, uh, Lord of the Rings. Actually, really cool terrain for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And then the most exciting part was the Battle Forces. We still have some left. These are limited. They only come out once a year around Christmas time, and then they're gone. They're very good value. Uh, if you want to pick one up, we have some left. We do. So the two that sold out immediately are the Tyranids Bioswarm and the Chaos Space Marines Vengeance Warband, which now you can only pick up on GW's website. Uh, so those are the two that sold out immediately. Unsurprising, those are, I think, the two best value ones um, on two really good armies as well. Yeah, and, and Chaos Space Marines got a massive boost with Psychic Awakening yeah. and Chapter Approved. And Tyranids, I know 
it's it, I was I'm kind of like the 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 response online has been a little bit underwhelming, but I am of the opinion that they are way way better than they were. Um, and it's interesting and, and curiously, uh, sorry to interrupt you too much. Sure. But uh, uh, one of our writers, Danny, has been writing uh, articles about how children has been impacted by psychic awakening, and they've been getting a lot of traction, like a lot of readership. So it's it's clear that there's a lot of people out there that are tyrannid curious, one might say, <laughs> and uh, or they're just you know they're bio curious. Bio curious. <laughs> there, that was way better. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there looking for us. It doesn't surprise me that this sold out because clearly there are people that maybe they're not commenting as much or talking about it as much, but they're out there looking for that information. Yeah, and, and that's actually one thing I look at when, I, when I'm kind of gauging what the, the general public wants is sales. Uh, for example, Assault Centurions or Centurions, yeah. the Primaris and Victor Tactical Warsuit and Eliminators all sold out almost at the same time. And, and you can pinpoint it to a very specific point in October when the Space Marine lists are really piling in. And, and they sold out and have been consistently sold out since then. The same thing with the Tyranid Bioswarm. At first, it would look like the Chaos Space Marine box was going to sell out first. Uh, and then immediately, like, Blood of Ball hit, and a lot of those reviews came up, and the Tyranid Bioswarm went out like, like that instantly. Well, remember, Pablo, rules don't sell models. Oh, oh you're right. No. So I, we've just been seeing this data correlate it was just random. Exactly for, you know, the nine plus years we've been in business. No, but rules don't sell models. Consumers just throw darts and, and just hope that they get something good. And, and they all just throw it at the same time, the, correlating exactly to when the, the same, rules change. Same unit, yeah. same time. It's just coincidence. Like, for example, buddy, how many how many draw pods did we sell before the Space Marine Codex? Like two, like when the Battle Company came in, out? In 8th edition. In 8th edition. Oh, oh, oh. In 8th edition, we sold uh, one box the first year. Uh, I remember that because it, I remember specifically selling that box. That's, is that so? You're saying we sold one drop pod, one brand new inbox drop pod, and let me, all year. Let me interject. We are one of the largest uh, North American resellers of Games Workshop product. Yes. To to my knowledge, I can't. I can't. I actually don't have any data to prove that. But from what I can tell through my my internet kung fu skills. Uh, I could I could say that we're one of the biggest and comparatively and, and we sold all drop pod right. and compare compared that to the year prior when the battle company was around when the drop pod was in the top three most selling kits behind the Imperial Knights Renegade box which as you can imagine sold really well uh, and the uh, Death Watch Overkill box which also sold extremely well so we had a bin full of drop pods in the second hand shop and we were selling it for like ten dollars I think. And they, we still didn't sell them. No, and some guy randomly one day, I was desperate because we had maybe 30 drop pods <laughs> just like chilling around. And this guy's like, I'll just buy all of them off of you. And I was like, yes, buy them. And then, you know, he obviously made out like a bandit uh, later on. But, it, it, you know, it was a... But what, what happened when the Codex came out? Yeah, exactly. We when, sold every drop pod under the roof within like two days. Yes, all, all of my drop pods that I had listed on eBay sold immediately when the Codex came out. And I was like, okay, there we go. Yeah, funny yeah. how that happens. Yeah. So, at any rate, uh, it doesn't surprise me that there's uh, that those two sold out because I think that of, of everything that, that came out with a combination of Psychic Waking and Chapter Approved, that those two out of what's available had the most to be excited about. Mm -hmm. Tyranids, it's a little subtle, but I think that they really can, I think they can compete. I'm actually thinking about playing them uh, once I can actually start playing in tournaments again, which is probably not going to be until after the LVO, but... Um, Chaos obviously came out uh, massively better 
Uh, but Tyrion's, I, I think they can really, I think they got what it takes. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, and, and to kind of, uh, the Blood Angels one surprised me a little because that one's actually hasn't been selling well. I think it's and because I the units in it are a little less appealing. It, like the I ball, think it's literally just the Ball Predator. The Ball Predator is still not good. And that's just, that's more of a, a symptom of the yeah. fact that if you're a vehicle in this edition that doesn't have a, a, some gimmick, mm. you, you're not, you're just not as, you're, yeah. you're a bit of a liability. Like, this hobby, no one likes Ball Predators. Yeah. Balls out. No. I, had to, I had to throw something out there. Can't, can't be preying on the balls. Yeah. You know, paint them blue. And the, the ball predator too, especially it's like a short range tank. So it's even less appealing, right? Like the vehicles that you do see, every single one of them has some sort of shtick. They, they can have the fly keyword or, you know, they have some sort of high, extremely powerful offense or extremely powerful defense or they're very easy to protect. Like tank commanders are still really popular, but that's because they're, they're relatively cheap. They got some, you know, really they can double tap the main gun. And it's also because the army that they're in, they can be layered deep behind um, bodies that stop them from getting touched and preventing them from shooting. So it's without that, like, you know, the way that the vehicle rules work right now, they're just not as appealing. Yeah, and you they, know? Their, their, their shtick was that they could move 12 inches and be faster than everything else. But they, they basically took that away. So, And you know the easy fix, for, in my opinion, with vehicles is you give them some ability to shoot even if someone's touching them because, you know, a grot leaning on an Abrams battle tank should not prevent it from firing its cannon. That's silly. Um, and they shouldn't have a penalty for moving and shooting. It's, a, it's like kind of the point of a vehicle is that it can move and fire heavy weapons, especially, you know, in the 41st millennium. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's just me giving my my uh, two cents on that. But eh, I'd love to see vehicles come back. Because one of the, the nice things about it, and I'm totally going off into the weeds here a little bit, but one of the nice things about it, if you remember in editions like 5th edition, which were vehicle-heavy editions, and granted, you had a lower model count armies, typically speaking, back then. But when mechanized is the way to go, and vehicles are good, the game is dramatically faster. Because when you're playing fifth, uh, almost all of your units were mech di- were, were in vehicles. So your first couple movement phases were you were moving like seven models total. You know what I mean? It was just, it, it just speeds things up dramatically. And that's, I think, one of the main benefits to having uh, an edition where vehicles are very viable. So. Yeah, also vehicles look great. On they the look tape. cool, they look yeah. so cool. Totally. So, and then not, not like being down on the edition at all. It's just like, that's one of the things that I was always like, man, I wish vehicles were a little bit more viable that weren't just, you know, fly keyword. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we'll see that in the future. All right. So if you want to get uh, any of those new pre-order goodies, please do so. Go to store.frontlinegaming.org. We have discounted prices, free shipping options within the United States of America. And you can always call and talk to the Rhino himself. Although... Please don't do that just for fun. <laughs> We're very busy. I, I we do get people who just call in asking like podcast questions and stuff. I know, dude. We used to get people who call and ask rules questions. It drove me nuts. Like I was like, I get it because back then GW literally there was there was nowhere to go to get an answer to a rules question. But when people would call like the store phone, like after a while, I was like, please don't do this. Like, the way, <laughs> like this is not what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. It can get pretty. I, normally, I don't mind it, um, but sometimes during really busy seasons, you, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just like I mean, I get it. Like, I, I get, I understand the motivation, but you're like, I'm not getting paid to answer rules questions, <laughs> please, it was, please stop. 
when people would text me and stuff like at like eight o'clock at night i'm like Ugh. it's so much better now i'm so thankful gw is back involved in engaging the community um so at any rate let's talk about the las vegas open 2020 we're about a little over five weeks away from the big show it's gonna be extremely exciting and again thrilled i did not think we would get here ever really and especially not this quickly but this is the first thousand plus player thousand plus player uh 40k event ever in the history of the game um i'm pretty sure it's probably the first four figure um miniatures game event ever period i would be willing to bet that that is the case single event so it's extremely exciting it's it's unprecedented it's it's very very cool we're, we're so stoked to see this happen um, and thank you to everybody that's coming that made this possible uh, so we as always we try to get this out as fast as possible but it's always really complicated there's lots of moving parts and uh, last week or this over the weekend we got out our 40k champs uh, kind of guidelines to help people as much as possible to be prepared and have fun at the event to know what to expect obviously with an event this big you, you want to be as clear as possible as detailed as possible because you don't get the chance to talk to everybody uh, it's just it's just too big and we got that out so we wanted to go over it on the podcast we talked about it last week a little bit as well but you know with this many people you just you want to repeat it just make sure we do our our due diligence to make sure that we get the information out there and then of course from the time it has come out until now um we've had community response to it so then it gives us opportunity to kind of respond to some of what you know the misconceptions or the the miscommunications that inevitably occur it so it never ceases to amaze me when i write something and i think it's clear and then somebody reads it and gets something like totally different out of it than i had intended it, it never fails and it's crazy even when i have other people read it i'm like what do you think this says is it clear still it's it's incredible how inaccurate language is <laughs> yeah but um we'll go over it some of the the highlights or some of the key points uh, again go look at the uh the blog post about this i'll go put it on the las vegas open site as well <clears throat> but it goes into detail um it's on the frontline gaming blog you can go google search it or go to frontline gaming and see it but uh the key po <clears throat> the key points you can start submitting your lists on the 3rd of january 2020 and those are going to be uploaded into bcp in the bcp format all of that information is linked in uh, the blog post it has to be in the correct format error free by the i think what do we say the 13th yeah by january 13th uh 2020 midnight pacific standard time uh if it's not you will get a yellow card and then it has to be uh, for whatever reason you didn't get it in correctly you waited to the last minute and you goofed it up whatever um, the next deadline is the 16th if you don't have it uh, in by the 16th uh, correct you will get another yellow card if for some reason you get uh, a ticket transferred to you um, you know after the, the the deadline you have 24 hours to upload your list correctly if not you get a yellow card and then you have another 24 hours to so 48 hours total which if you haven't done it correctly in that uh, span of time you'll get a second yellow card for those who don't remember how the system works it's essentially three strikes and you're out you don't want to come into the event with two yellow cards because that means you have one infraction and you're out of the event a red card means you are removed from the event you do not get your money back for your ticket 
Um, thankfully, we've only ever had to issue a single red card ever. Yeah. One other thing too is uh, if you've got the if you received the ticket, they transferred uh, to you. Maybe a friend transferred it to you, or if maybe the email you used wasn't the email that you used on Best Coast Pairings. Uh, or if you signed up late for Best Coast Pairings, or for whatever reason, your name isn't on that roster on Best Coast Pairings when list submission happens, please don't wait until yeah. the 13th to email us. Email us immediately. I mean, you even email us now uh, to make sure that we have the correct email on file for you because, uh, you know, I saw it at the SoCal Open and the Bay Area Open. Um, people, you know, waited until the last minute and saw, oh man, I'm not on the roster. I can't submit my list. What do we do? And then, you know, Frankie, me, and Reese are already on the road to the event like we can't help you yeah so and so that's that's what we're that's what we're giving this such a long period of time like the the roster is going to go up on the third you have 10 days that's plenty of time to make sure that if your name isn't showing up or your email was wrong or all of these things that inevitably occur there's plenty of time and don't wait until the 13th to upload your list because if you didn't do it right and it gets rejected because we have a script that uh, we have a computer program that reads your list to do a loose verification. It's not gonna, it's not gonna tell you if your list is illegal. It's not. It's just gonna tell you if you didn't add up the points right, or if you didn't format it correctly. It's not going to tell you that, you know, you can't take ten plasma guns in a unit of orc boys or whatever, right? Like, it do, it's not that sophisticated. It's just gonna check to see that you formatted it correctly, and that you know. You added up your points right, et cetera, et cetera. So don't, do not wait until the 13th to upload your list. Don't wait till the 13th to even look at how you do it. Do yourself a favor. Give yourself a little bit of a cushion and try and do it early, and then you don't have to worry about it. It's done. Uh, and then, of course, if you don't have a list uploaded in the correct format by the end of round one, you get a red card. And we don't want to have to do that to anybody, but it's not fair to everyone else if you're coming in and you don't have a list uploaded, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so repeat that one more time. It's a big deal. Yeah, you will get ejected from the event if you do not have a list uploaded correctly by the end of the first round of the event, yeah. right? That's gonna suck. We don't want it to happen. Obviously, we're gonna do everything we can to help people avoid that. But ultimately, the responsibility rests on the shoulders of the attendee to do their part. It's a big event. You know, we can't hold everybody's hand. We try, but we can't. Yeah. So go look at uh, how to get your list formatted in the correct way. Go into your various, whatever, wherever you go, uh, Reddit, Facebook, uh, the forums, you know, the chat room, whatever. Talk to somebody who's done it correctly before if you can. Yeah. And, and just get it done ahead of time. You don't want to be, uh, you, don't want, you don't want to risk doing it at the last minute and getting a yellow card even too, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's so doable. If Reese can do it on his Nokia brick phone at his age, any of you can do it, I promise. I got my Zach Morris phone and I can still figure it out. So yeah, that's, you know, it's never fun to talk about punitive action, but it's the only way that we can get these things done. Um, so that's that. Uh, the other one, so we've always had this rule, essentially, it just, we didn't, we realized there was a loophole in it for SoCal Open. <clears throat> Previously, we always said your detachments had to look, um, each faction had to uh, be easily identifiable. And what we've done with the, your faction has to be coherent rule is that we're basically clarifying what we meant all eighth edition. And it's never been an issue until the Space Marine Codex came out. And then we saw people bringing, uh, to SoCal Open particularly, people would go like, oh, I'm bringing an Iron Hands army. And it was clear that they would just, they just borrowed units from like 10 different friends and their army was just this hodgepodge 
really unsightly um, kind of mess, so to speak. And it, it, there was a lot of it there um, at the event. And so we were like, shoot, technically they are following our appearance guidelines, but that's not what we meant. Going back to my earlier point, what we had always meant was that if you have, and I'll just use the, the example of Iron Hands because it's the most prevalent at this point in time. If you had an Iron Hands army, what we had meant with our original appearance guidelines in the ITC was if you didn't want to paint them as Iron Hands, which is very common, and I, I can empathize with that. Uh, let's say you had a, a blue Space Marine army and you wanted to play them as Iron Hands. We were exactly right. And it's, it's fine, man. I like variety too. Like I painted my army a generic color so I could play them as whatever I wanted on purpose, right? Because I liked mixing it up and trying different rules. So we had written the rules to try and accommodate that to let people like, hey, they don't have to be painted as Iron Hands, which is the way Games Workshop actually, like that's the way they, they do it at their events. To my knowledge, um, that's typically how they roll. Like you have to paint it as the actual faction. And I know from talking to the devs, that's the, that's the way they envision the game being played. I don't think that's entirely realistic, but and the reason I say that is just to say like we are actually fairly lenient in that regard. Um, so the intent was, Hey man, if you've got a, a space marine army that you painted as white scars, but you really want to play them as iron hands, that's fine as long as your opponent can tell what is going on. Now the way I had written it, unfortunately, allowed for people to go as long as all the space marines are iron hands. It's not confusing to my opponent because I can say if you see a space marine, it's an iron hand. But every unit, sometimes even different models in the same unit, are painted differently. That was not the ever the intent and it's it's an eyesore it's not fair to your opponent either it's a big kind of a big mess so we clarified that to be more clear meaning uh everyone that is a certain faction needs to be visually easily identifiable consistently the same faction right so if you've got an army that has uh iron hands and they're not painted in traditional iron hands colors but they're all red or green or whatever that's fine but it, your, your opponent needs to be able at a glance tell what's what um, as we stated we'll make sensible exceptions like if you paint your librarian in the traditional blue that's fine as long as he's you know consistent like it's consistent within your army your chaplain is painted black um you don't feel like it, it's not going to be like insane draconian uh, we're, we're not trying to like make someone's experience bad like if you have an orc army and then, you know, you're goth, but you painted your war boss and some crazy bright red flames coming off, that's fine, right? And as we always say, when in doubt, send in pictures. We have a link that you can ask rules questions or submit pictures of your army and explain what's going on. The judges will look at it and get back to you and let you know if it's okay or not. So when in doubt, just send in pictures. Like a really good example, I was talking to a player the other day that plays uh, Chaos Knights. And in the book, they show that the Chaos Knights, each knight's different. And I'm like, that's fine. That's the way that they are intended to be played. It'd be nice if you based them all the same so that it was clearly that it was one army, right? But if you're painting them different colors because that's the way that they're portrayed, that's cool. If you have a clear <clears throat> theme, like let's say you're playing some sort of like a, a really cool themed army, where you have a, a unit that looks different from another unit, whatever, and you've made a clear artistic endeavor to do something cool, send in pictures, and it's usually you can tell instantaneously what you're doing. 
right? And more often than not, we're going to be totally fine with it. The idea is to avoid the borrow hammer army where it's an eyesore, it's, it reduces the enjoyment of the other player to play against it. So Yeah, and you can usually tell. You can, the, it's, you can tell you right away. At, yeah, you, you it, explaining the line might be a little harder to do, um, putting it onto paper, uh, which I think is what a lot of people really want, is they want a clear cut line. But seeing the line is actually really easy. Um, when you look at a top table and you're like, that is definitely Barrowhammer yeah. versus, you know, a guy on, on like a middle table or something who has like a beautifully painted army, but they're all different, like an orc army or something. And then unfortunately too, like a lot of the best players are the ones most guilty of it. Um, and I, I say that these are, I'm talking about people that are my personal friends. I'm not trying to like, yeah. I'm not trying to like demonize them or attack them, but that was the ones that were the one, they were doing it the most frequently. And those are the people that are also most likely to end up on the stream and the stream is supposed to be the ambassador of the hobby. And if you've got someone who's like, I'm curious about going to a tournament and then they turn on and they see just this hodgepodgey, crappy looking army, that's not gonna help us achieve our goals. No. You know, if someone's new to it, like what is Warhammer 40K? And we've gone out of our way to get front page of Twitch, which is extremely difficult to do. And then people tune into that. It's not, that's not gonna help grow the hobby. It's not gonna help sustain it. It's, it's, it's a net negative, right? It might be a benefit for that individual because it was the path of least resistance to get the exact list that they wanted on the table. But in the big picture, it's not doing what we want to do. Uh, NAR147, thank you for subscribing for 31 months, says, keep up the great work, guys. Will you be having a look at secondaries after LVO and a tweak, anything you think? Seems very balanced at the moment. I'm just wondering if you thought about making any changes. Yeah, so we always update uh, the ITC after the LVO. Uh, we usually initiate that process before the LVO so that we can roll right into it as quickly as possible. There's always this weird like week or two after the LVO where we're kind of like transitioning between the two. Because the thing is, if you initiate the changes too far before the LVO, it confuses people coming into the LVO because then they're thinking about what's going to happen instead of what's current. It, it's a it's a delicate dance like because events events for the next season start the next weekend actually they start the same weekend because yeah. the cutoff to get scores in is the mm. weekend before the lvo so technically the next season starts the exact same weekend as the lvo there's events going on in other parts of the world yep. that are going to start scoring for the next season so it, it's we haven't really dialed in that how to do that perfectly yet because it's like you don't want to start talking about it you know a month before the the end of the season because then it, it's, it's just going to confuse the hell out of people yeah and, and you also don't want to have like a, a grace period or an off season because that tr that invalidates some people's events yeah that they've had for for years in some cases so yeah you, you got to roll into it like instantly but it's really hard to do that it's, it's delicate especially because the staff that's you know doing all the, the work of making the itc and everything run is like overwhelmingly busy at the lvo and then right after the event, the last thing you want to do is dive back into doing like analysis and you, you want to just take a, a, a breath and like decompress a little bit. Um, so it is, it's, it's a challenge to, to strike that balance. But yes, kind of a long answer to a short question. Um, yeah, we will be looking at tweaking secondaries, maybe adding some in, taking some away. And with some of the great tools we have, like the ITC battle app, and BCP, we have a lot of really, really good data on what missions are working, what missions aren't working, which ones are popular, which ones are not popular, so that we can continue to refine the formula and really 
get it dialed in. And then sometimes we like to make changes just to mix things up too. Like, you know, we're not afraid to take a risk and just throw something in there. Let's say, let's see how it goes. Um, Cause you don't want to be playing the exact same missions forever and ever and ever. It just gets a little stale. Sometimes you want to mix it up just, just to mix it up. Um, let's jump in the chat too. I want to see if anybody has any questions about the appearance rules. Cause <clears throat> like you were saying, it's, it's hard to define it. But uh, the example I always use is the, the Supreme Court justice when they were trying to pass legislation on what is or is not pornography. And he said, it's, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And they're talking about what's the difference between pornography and art um, and how difficult it can be to, 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 to divide, the, to clearly distinguish the line between those two. But, I, but the way he said it, I was like, yeah, we all know, like, when you look at one, you know what it is, what it's trying to be, right? You know, when you went to that subject, I was a little worried, but you kept it classy. Well, it's, it's the best example I can think of because it is such an ambiguous topic, right? Like, is, like, is somebody just like a bad artist, right? And like, you know. Uh, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you're Same not trying to with... punish someone for being a bad artist. Yeah. Or what if somebody has this crazy artistic vision of all these things coming together from these, it's like this army in this book and it was like mixed arms. And it's like, if you can point to that, you're fine. But then when I look at someone's army and I'm like, you clearly just went to all your buddies and borrowed a unit from each of them. Yeah, there's some Age of Sigmar models. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And it's like the LVO, the vision for the LVO is for it to be the world's premier event. And that involves elevating standards, right? It's just, that's just the way it goes. Um, in our 147, uh, not talking about appearance standards, but an idea he likes, no seizing allowed for alternating deployment would be nice. I would yes. just like to get rid of seize, period. I, I, there's no redeeming quality to that rule, in my opinion. Um, Grot sounds, any plans for frontline events using the ITC Battles app? I don't think we can say you have to use it yet. I would love to. I would love to because, for one, it works great. For two, it saves paper, not only for an, an environmental perspective, like it's great if we don't have to use all this paper, it's such a waste, but the printing bill for the LVO is thousands of dollars, many thousands of dollars, and it would be great to save that money too. Oh, I'm the guy who has to print the papers? Yeah. It just reminded me of a task that I'm not Dude, looking forward to. The box of it is like a, it's like a log full of papers Huge. Just it's a bunch of expensive heavy boxes of tournament papers yeah player packets and every time i always get the same questions from the people who print them they're like what's this for what is this it's a tournament is this like chess but i'm like no it's, it's kind of yeah it's yeah. like model railroads meets yeah and then you always go down that slippery slope of explaining warhammer to someone who has no idea i don't even try anymore i'm just like you would i'm like if you <laughs> you wouldn't get it I, I don't even bother i've tried to explain it so many times i'm like huh and i'm like just come by sometime and I'll it's, show you. It's really difficult explaining 40K to the layman. It is. Yeah. It really is. Uh, NAR147 says, all your new rules for what's acceptable is spot on and great for tournaments and the hobby in general. Thank you. Yeah. It's been, the reaction has been interesting. I knew it was going to be controversial. The um, tightening up appearance standards, I knew it. But at, per usual, what I've come to find is that there are a few very vocal people against it that make a lot of noise. And it seems like, oh... Did we make a, a wrong move? And then when I really started doing some analysis, I'm like, no. And then we started getting emails from people like what I would call the silent majority of um, 40K enthusiasts that go to match play events. And they're like extremely thankful. Like the appearance of the hobby is a big deal to me. 
I'm so happy you guys did this. I got an email from a player. Well, I don't even want to say where they're from. I don't want to blow their cover or whatever. But they were like, we've been having trouble with players bringing horrible looking armies and not doing anything to change it. Uh, you know, proxying, all this stuff. He's like, now we can just point at this and say, hey, we're just going to use these rules. This is what you have to do to, to come and play. And that's been one of the main benefits of the ITC is that a lot of people don't want to have that confrontation. They can just blame it on me. It's true. It's true. And I'm like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, just, just tell them to yell at me. I'm used to it. It doesn't even bother me anymore. They're going to yell at you anyways. <laughs> I got one email from a guy. He was like, F you, F this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, delete <laughs> moving on and it, the, the funny one too the thing that really just amuses the heck out of me is when someone's making a big stink and then i go check and they're not even coming to the event i'm those like are, what best. i'm like don't you have anything better to do yeah. it's and then people especially when they make a fake account and i'm like i can still see your ip address dude i know i can find out who you are and I'm like, Reese knows everyone. Uh, he, well, he can find you. I'm just used to dealing with this kind of stuff. And it's, I'm like, don't you have anything better to do than to, to rant and rail about something that doesn't even impact you? Yeah. To, to bring it back down a little bit, um, there, I think there is definitely some, some issues with TOs who adopt to the ITC and maybe it doesn't fit their community's um, play styles or, or thought processes. I don't think this is necessarily going to be a specific instance of that. Um, but there are definitely, and I think that's where a lot of that stems from is a lot of frustrations is that uh, people maybe aren't necessarily attending the LVO. Uh, they, their TOs implement these things that we're doing at, at our events um, and they don't agree with them. Uh, and instead of talking to their TO and opening a line of communication there, uh, they're doing a, the unproductive thing, which is um, you know reaching out to us and venting when they should actually go to their TO and, and have like a rational conversation. So that's, that's uh, usually the actual honest thing there. I know I think you make a really good point and um, you know I go on my own little rant sometimes because I get the, the brunt of all of this Absolutely. stuff but uh, well like I tell people all the time like I, I um, like if you sign up for the ITC patreon at a certain level um, I, I offer a consultation on like starting an event or starting a game store or all this stuff and I'm happy to share all the information that I've learned over the years I just got I just did one yesterday as a matter of fact and I always tell people, I'm like, take every, like, like we've said a million times, the ITC is designed to be a starting point. Like you have to do what's best for your local community. It's like being a politician. You, you have to do what reflects the desires of your constituents, right? Like it just makes sense. And if you're in an, a, a local area where having a, a more strict appearance policy doesn't work, then don't do it. Absolutely not, especially if you're just getting started. You want the barrier to entry to be very low. But like I tell people all the time, I was like, if you want your GT or higher level event to be considered to be prestigious, even an RTT, and to do it in what I consider to be the right way, if you do not really pay attention to aesthetics, you will never ever rise up to that premier event level. You just won't. Yeah, like, yeah 100%. It's just, it's not going to happen. That's just reality. It's <clears throat> not going to happen. But at a local level, like especially at the RTT level, at the league level, let re, be relaxed. Like it's not a big deal. You, it's more about building community and get people to come and participate. But like when you start, when you're trying to push through to that next level, you have to do things more professionally. That's that's just the way it is. But right. I know I agree. I think you made a really good point. Yep. 
So uh, I actually had a question for you. Let's move on to the the squad markings and the rubber bands, which is kind of the the second part of this appearance update. Um, uh, and and I actually felt like there are more there was more logical pushback from uh, banning the rubber bands on models than the actual uh, uh, the uh, color you know faction consult you know i'm, I'm losing my words they're called, I'm, I'm, they're, I'm, they're, I'm, the, the example we used in the image is called squad marks and i have to yeah. mariano will put it up on the page right now yeah uh, so, for people watching so the the rubber bands um explain do you want do you mind explaining your reasoning for that a little well bit? okay first of all i think there might have been like a fundamental miscommunication on this okay. one uh one people as always the, the first conspiracy theory thing is they are oh, you're trying to make money off them like, <laughs> oh, yeah. we don't make any money off squad marks first of all in the example, people thought we were saying you have to use these. I'm like, go back and read what it says. It says you can use something like this. So to put it in context before we go down kind of the debate, uh, the idea is a lot of people have a coherently painted army, right? Uh, uh, Ruben Fernandez, it's a good example from the SoCaliban, a very nice painted black Space Marine army, but he had different factions within it. And he was like, I want to use this army. It looks really nice, but I want to use different factions. I want to, I, and he put visually distinctive markers on them to show who was who. That's fine. Again, strictly by like what GW would like you to do, no. But I think that that's fine. You took the time to paint a pretty army. And you, as long as it's very easily visually distinct. And in the picture we used uh, some of my Acadians that aren't the best painted in the world, but <laughs> they meet the minimum standard. Um, I use the example of, of Squad Marks, which is a company that makes this product specifically for this purpose. Um, and I sprayed them different colors. And I was like, well, if you use the product like this, and you said the Cadians with the red base are one regiment and the Cadians with the blue base are a different regiment, that's fine, right? It's very easy to, to distinguish what's what. Um, the product was made for it. And then, of course, people tried to think, connect some conspiracy because they're coming to the LVO. And I was like, oh, I was just trying to promote one of our uh, vendors as we do, but we don't make any money off these. It's not, we're not in any way connected to this company. Like it's not, we're not making money off of it and you don't have to use these. So the whole thing with the rubber bands is that what we've been seeing people do is taking colored rubber bands and putting them on the model. Like, um, that was what Ruben did as to, to use that example and no knock on him at all. Like I said, I thought his army was well painted and generally looked good. But when you've got centurions running up the table with rubber bands hanging off of their drills, I'm like, and like what a lot of people were doing was like wrapping them around the, the gun, hanging them off of a sword, wrapping them around like their head. And, and it looks really dumb. And again, the idea is it, it looked dumb in my opinion. I'm sure some people disagree with that. The idea is if we are trying to make this as we are ambassadors of the hobby, we're trying to present this in the best possible light. We want more people to get involved. Um, if someone walks up and they sees, they see, you know, you stole your little brother's rubber bands for his braces and put them on your model, it's not really getting where we want to go. But then it, um, from what looking, reading, kind of like trying to put my finger on it, it seems like people were using rubber bands in a different way than what we were describing. So maybe that is where some of this confusion is coming mm -hmm. from. What's your, what is your take on it? So, so I actually agree. Um, uh, my first, the first time I ever saw rubber bands uh, was Frankie's Gene Stiller army, which he took pains to paint himself, and I think it's painted pretty well. I like the, yeah. the paint scheme. Um, but it's when he put the rubber bands on them, it was just a horde of neon, neon colors, colors 
you know, and yep. it's a Gene Steeler car. I mean, it's not like Space Marines. It's not like five models. It's hundreds of models in a display tray. Um, and so that kind of that kind of looked a little weird. They definitely turned me off the rubber band idea. Um, and so because I was looking for an idea for my Catachin, uh, because I was running Catachin at the time, and I wanted to figure out how to mark them, uh, specifically the sergeants. And I, en- I ended up going with just a single blue stripe on three parts of the base so that you, from most angles, you can see the blue stripes, you know where the sergeants are, uh, but it, it didn't take away from the base or the aesthetic at all. Uh, and I actually think that, because uh, I also heard a lot of people saying that they don't want to paint the rims of their bases different colors because it looks a little weird, and I agree. Um, but it just a, I found just you know a single line, maybe two quick little strokes um, on the base, uh, just so that it you still have most of the color of the base, that tan color in my case, uh, but you're able to identify i think that works really well and then you can use different colors you can use you know hundreds of colors potentially for your units um but the rubber band thing for me just turned me off from the idea of the rubber band just by looking at frankie's army and you don't even value the aesthetics of the game as much as other people do yeah no I, not really I, it wasn't an aesthetic thing for me i guess a little bit but it was more of just like it looked really really confusing and then the rubber bands were in, in weird places so i was like like they might fall off or what if a rubber band falls off two models or and then you have to take all the rubber bands off there was a, a bunch of different reasons that went into my decision for it and ultimately i think the i think that um maybe there's a middle ground but that's this is just my personal opinion um that maybe we can explore later uh but for right now for the las vegas open i think i think right now i think just banning them is fine yeah, and the thing is too, like, uh, somebody had said, what if I put a rubber band around the base of the model? And t- 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 full disclosure, I've never seen anybody do that before. If there, if there is a way to do that, to put a, send us in a picture, and if it works, it works. Like, again, we're not trying to make, it, we're not trying to make this hard on people. We want the, the event to look as good as possible. Because, like, when I was at the LGT, for example, I, there was a Tau player there playing next to me, and he had the rubber band just hanging off of the guns of his firework. Like... Literally just like, boop. And I was like, oh, what is this? Why are we doing this? Is, this sucks. And like you were saying, like Frankie's and Frankie's like best friend, business partner with, on team frontline, obviously. I really didn't care for the way his army looked when it was just bright green, bright pink, bright orange. Um, it really reduces your immersion right. in it. Uh, and I understand why you do it. It's cheap and easily, whatever. But there's lots of other things you could do, right? Like you said, you could paint uh, a, a line or a, some dots or a pattern on the rim of your base. Yeah. You could put, um, if all of them have like a very easily identifiable like marking on their shoulder pad. Oh, if you see everybody's got a red shoulder pad or whatever, or a lion stick uh, transfer on their shoulder pad, that's this. And the other one is that. Yeah, the, the color shoulder pads are, are what Brandon Grant does, and I would never argue with, with someone with his level of success um, in terms of methods like that. So, yeah, he usually he has like 10, 12 different squads. There's like gray squad and white squad and gray squad B, but they're Katachan. And they're, anyways, it's really, easy, it's really easy to tell in his army in particular. Yeah, and that's a, you make a good point because it's not only just about looking nice. It's about being fair to your opponent so that they can look at your army and understand what the heck is going on, yeah. right? Like, you can't expect to show up with some random hodgepodgey mishmash and then just to have your opponent take your word on what's what. Because one of the other things brought up about the rubber bands was that an unscrupulous player could 
cheat by switching them around, right? Like, oh, now this unit's iron hands. I never oh, thought about yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I didn't think about it either, but then I was like... If it's just on the gun... Yeah. You just, You're like, oh, I need this unit to be white scars now so that they can leave combat and charge. I need an extra model in this yeah. unit. <laughs> so, and, and, and again, like that's it needs to be something that's rather permanent. I mean, I guess you could do that with squad markers, but I think it'd be a lot harder to do. Yeah, you're like, why are you picking up your <laughs> Bob, models? Bob. But, um, you know, and I think the cheating thing is relatively minor. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think it would actually happen that much, but it is a concern, right? So, again, when in doubt, like if, if you found a rubber band that actually goes around the base, the, the rim of the model, I don't even know if these exist, but if they do and it looks halfway decent, that's probably fine. What we meant when we said rubber bands is the way that we've only ever seen it implemented, whereas when they're wrapped around the model or hanging off the model, right? So if somebody out there has found some other cool way to do it like that, like, or like something that you could like attach to the base that's reasonable, um, send us a picture and if it's cool, yeah, totally. We, we want it to be easy for everybody to comply. We, we're not trying to make it difficult, but we want it to be fair and look nice. Um, let's see if there's any, there's probably some good comments. Uh, chat's answering its own questions. Thank you. That's always nice. Um, yeah, went to a Zaroff 85 says I went to a tournament last weekend and this guy's 2000 point list had seven different paint schemes. So frustrating. It is. And it really does re reduce your immersion in it. Um, I've had tell players running the same color drones for different seps and had them soak wounds for multiple sex Se seps says Tomodachi express. Yeah. That's why this is important. It is super confusing because in my own armies, when I, cause uh, if I don't do it, when they get into like melee and stuff, I'm like, uh, did, how many casualties did this unit take? You know, like, I can't even remember sometimes. Yeah. Uh, um, that one guy, 248, I, I understand the preference for the rubber band over painting shoulder pads, um, which is why I didn't do it. I was painting Katachan. So I, Katachan don't have shoulder pads. Uh, so I, I highly recommend the lines, thin lines on the base. Um, it's just, you just try point three lines on the base. Um, you know, it's really, really, really fast. And then bases are easy to, to repaint over. You just paint over that line when you want to change the squad or, or change the numbers. Um, you know what you could also do? I just thought of this. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's a little bit more involved of a project, but you could take something like that you magnetized and put on the base. So everybody's base has like some sort of distinguishing- like an orc head or something. Yeah, like an orc head, right? Yeah. And that, that obviously takes a little bit of work uh, maybe more than if, if you're putting rubber bands on, you're probably not wanting to do a big hobby project in the first place. Yes. But, um, or, you know, you could some, you could get something that's uh, modular that you could put on and then you could switch it out. And that's really what squad marks does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. <laughs> but I mean, I could understand that maybe some people don't like the way it looks. Right. Um, but that's the idea, right? That product was made specifically to do what we're trying to do. That was why we recommended it. Do you have to use it? No. It just is a very simple solution to accomplish this goal. Yeah. So any other questions about bases and stuff like that before we move on? Oh, one other thing, uh, a legitimate complaint, totally legitimate. The base chart didn't come out complete. That's 100% my fault. As I said, we've been <clears throat> stupid busy. I kind of, the, the failure in communication is 100% my fault. We took the ETC's base chart because they'd already done it. Um, and then I kind of like, uh, delegated it, but I, I don't think I was clear enough to the people that I was asking to help me with it, that they were basically like doing 80% of it. Um, so 
that was a definite misstep and that is definitely on me. So I apologize that I didn't, I didn't do it as well as it should have been done out the gates. Um, I was up late last night working on it. It's almost completely done. If you catch anything, let me know. I think I still have to get a couple more forge rolled units in there, but um, it should be much more clear now than it was two days ago. So um, if it confused anybody, sincerely, I apologize. I, um, I thought I was, I thought I had it covered, but I, I didn't. It's okay though, we recovered, not a big deal. Um, was there any other question? I think there was someone oh, threw one out there. Question. Uh, bum, bum, bum. It's like marking your ball in golf. Yeah, in golf you do that too. Um, if you don't have, if you have the same like type of golf ball, you put like a little dot on it. Um, <laughs> Wolf Priest Carl, good suggestion. Not going to say that one on air, but that would certainly work. Uh, simple B, I know my club has been... Uh, frustrated by the changes. There have been several questions about it, but it really does seem to stand for Sorry for key. Uh, not really. Okay, simple B. Explain, right? Because to me, this is clearly the right play for going forward. I would really like to hear your opinion as to why um, you think that this is problematic. Because it was really interesting. One of the points of pushback on the borrow hammer thing, which was very seemed very strange to me, was like, uh, it's being elitist. And I was like, how is it being elitist to expect you to play the game the way the game is intended to be played? It's like, I, I do understand the argument, like, oh, what if somebody can't afford the army? And I'm like, not to be harsh, but if you can't afford the army, then you're probably not going to be coming to the LVO. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't, you know, playing Little League baseball. I mean, this is like, you're an adult, it's an expensive hobby. Uh, you know, that argument doesn't go that far. I mean, I do have some empathy, but it's not really relevant to what we're doing. Yeah, to, to be very simple, B, um, when I first heard about Borrowhammer, and I, I think I already mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we talked about this, um, there, I actually pushed back as well back when Reese pitched this idea, you know, a, wh a while ago, um, because I, too, used Borrowhammer, and specifically I also bought models from the secondhand store. That's kind of where I started my 40K roots, was buying models on eBay. And oftentimes I wouldn't, I would buy a painted green rhino and then run it in an army as a rhino and then it wouldn't match. So that that's kind of like a, a buy hammer, I don't know, secondhand hammer, whatever you want to call it. But that was where I started, that's how I started 40K. And so I actually adopted that same mentality that, that it was a barrier for entry um, to a degree. I don't, I don't agree necessarily that it's elitist, um, but I've since changed and come around on that because uh, not only will you buy more secondhand models from the secondhand shop, but secondhand models are also cheap, um, and they're already a great. There are a second, the secondhand market is already a great way to remove a barrier for entry, getting into the game, and painting the models. If you pick a very simple scheme, or even painting the models to the scheme so that they match the colors, maybe you don't necessarily have to paint these secondhand models completely and fully. Just get that that painting requirement down, the three colors, make it look nice. Um, it really, really doesn't take much effort. Uh, and you can get a Rhino for cheap or, or a model for cheap, right, off the secondhand market. Um, so, it, you know, just if you're concerned about barriers for entry and um, if you know anyone that's worried about it, have them check out eBay, have them look for the models at a, a good discount uh, and then help them paint the models themselves so that they match their army. Yeah, and, and especially with, to your point, Pablo, and I agree with you, um, and Simple B responded, and we'll, we'll, we'll answer that before we get back on with everything. Um, you make some good points, Simple B. Uh, with things like um, what are the new paints, I'm drawing a blank. 
Contrast. Contrast paints. Oh, those are it's amazing. It's so easy to paint your army. It's still a pain in the butt. I'm not going to lie. There's some of us that love to paint. I used to love to paint. <laughs> and I still... Like, looked at that red marine that we posted. That's out of my army, right? That's minimum <laughs> three colors. And I tried to paint it and it's based with one basing material. That's the minimum. I used my own model as an example, right? I get it. It's challenging to find the time to paint as an adult. But um, it's just, it's really easy to get it done now. It's not, it's, it, with the contrast paints, like even me, as busy as I am, I, I got it, every model of my army is at least to that standard, right? And for RTTs and leagues, go ahead. Don't, don't have a painting uh, standard at all. Let people come and experiment. Use unpainted models. Let, let people play Borrowhammer. But when you want to go to like a big event, um, you know, everyone's free to run their event the way they see fit. But I think it's important to have that because it just makes the experience more enjoyable for, for everybody. Um, and then Simple B says, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't think we're being malicious. He's just concerned for people that love the hobby and, uh, hobby and are not financially well off. I've seen this argument bro. a couple times. And right. I, 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 I get it. I get it. Like, I fully understand. Like, especially, <clears throat> like for example, our first store up in Mar Martinez, California, we had a bunch of kids that hung out at the store that wanted to play. And obviously kids can't afford it. It was a lower income kind of area anyway. So like a lot of the kids came from families where even their parents really couldn't afford it. But there's always things you can do. Like we would let kids do like sort sprues, like clip bits off sprues for the paint studio. Yeah. And then we would give them a kit, right? Like I, I get it. We do everything we can to help out. But for an event like the LVO, um, if someone's really in financial distress to the point where they can't get a coherent looking army, uh, perhaps it would be wiser to like try and get their finances in order before getting upset about something like that. That might sound a little harsh, um, but you know, for a big event, when you're considering the well-being of the group as opposed to the individual, it's the right call. Uh, obviously, free to disagree, but uh, but simple. B, I, I I think you're not wrong, and I think you could. There might even be a market for running an event where it's like, come as you are, let your hair down. You know, maybe even run an event that helps people in financial distress to get an army, right? Like you could, somebody could uh, donate a unit that they don't want anymore as their entry fee. And then somebody else who's, you know, a, a kid or, or not is struggling a little bit, they could get it. There's a whole, there, there might be a whole room to explore that idea and turn it into something if enough people agree with you. So I don't think you're way off base. I just think for what we're trying to do, that, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't jive. And then to the people in, in chat asking, no, we're not relenting. The, the, we're not relenting on this. Um, we're trying to empathize and understand where other people are coming from. Yeah. But this is the law for the LVO and for the ITC going forward. Every event's free to adopt it if they want. They often do. But no, we are not, we are not changing our mind on this. this is, we are committed to this. And make sure you look at the base chart and adopt, you know, ad adapt to it. Um, for you org players, I know it's a super bummer. You got to put your orgs on 32s, they're on 28s. There's a lot of companies that make base extenders that are relatively affordable, they're very easy. As we said, if you're putting base extenders on for this year to adapt, you don't have to paint them. We're going to let that slide. Um, and it's a bummer. I know it's annoying. Like I put a lot of my Space Marine characters in my Space Wolf Army on 40 mil bases because it looked cooler. But when you actually sit down and do the math on it with auras, it does make a significant difference. Um, I know some people might think it's trivial or trifling, 
but it, it is it actually does make a significant oh, yeah. difference yeah. um and like what a guy get upset about he's like oh but my scouts are on 32s because it looks cool and it's consistent and is that really a big of a deal and i'm like it, it is when you're like doing like area denial with your scouts it is it does when you actually add up the extra area that the the increased uh, uh diameter of the base therefore influencing the amount of uh, area that they deny having them be able to be farther apart from each other it doesn't seem like a lot but it really adds up to the actual area of the table that it impacts or how many rows in combat you can fight in or if you put a unit on smaller bases it's easier to deep strike them yep. it especially at high level play it makes a big difference so yeah yeah completely yeah we just need the standardized bases i know and it, it does when you have to make these changes it's always <clears throat> such a pain in the ass but um it is what it is uh, we'll, we'll see if there's any other questions uh, to help clarify, and then we'll, we'll continue on with the show. We're running a little long. Um, uh, Nat, uh, in Blackburn says, LVO is a premier event. The table should, should reflect that exactly. That's exactly correct. Zaroff85, there's a base chart. You can click in it in the show notes, and uh, it'll show that. And again, guys, don't be shy. If I made, if I goofed or the team, it wasn't just me. There's a ton of people that's been working on this, but I'm the, the main point of contact. Um, if, if we missed one, let us know. Germanticore, well, Chrome Dragon Gaze definitely comes on a 40 millimeter. If he does, uh, leave a comment in the in the um, blog post, and I'll go check. And if you're right, I'll fix it right away. Yeah, and, and for the base chart, uh, remember everyone that <laughs> remember everyone that that GW's model range is huge, is and then that's not even including all of the third party or the the um, the Cromlex and you know the other basing companies as well. Um, that come with that supply their own bases maybe in some cases but yeah the we, we, we're gonna need help with the base chart so um anything like that please do yeah i mean i i honestly i dropped the ball on that i'm more than willing to admit when i make a mistake and i made a mistake i assumed it had been very thoroughly gone over i went in and i spot checked a couple and it seemed fine and then when it hit reality i was like nope <laughs> missed a lot but it's all been fixed by now i believe um uh, simple B, yeah, you're very welcome. Um, you are correct. In a private event, you're free to do whatever you want. Thank you for being understanding our position. Uh, Tomodachi, uh, thank you. Yeah, we, we, we try to always be understanding. I may make fun of people sometimes to like kind of vent a little bit, but we always try to be empathetic and understanding of where other people are coming from. He was saying in other fandoms, people would be at each other's throats by now. <laughs> Um, never mind Jamba. A lot of people on Reddit were complaining about the CSM base sizes because Abaddon was listed on the wrong size base. Um, Chaos Space Marines, Gene Sealer Colt, and Demons got really foobarred. And again, I take responsibility for that. Um, it was just a mistake, but it's been fixed. Uh, so if you see any on there that uh, additionally might need an adjustment, please let me know. It was actually really complicated because even GW oftentimes shows the model on the wrong base or they list all the time. they list the base in the box that's wrong yeah yeah it was, or, or they don't have a base size at all listed anywhere on their website so you know when you buy the model you get what you get and then um there have been instances where i bought uh, the same model twice and they sent me two different boxes yep. with two different base sizes because they ran out of the box art for one and so they sent me the generic white box but they contained different base oh, so you know the it's it's hard it's a hard model range for them to manage so i'm not griping on games workshop it, it's just with with that large of a model range is gonna be issues like that yeah absolutely because we had like uh, a guy on our team had a unit of warp spiders that came on 32 millimeter bases 
He's like, should I play him on these? Is what it came with. I'm like, clearly not. Like, what is like somebody just put the wrong bases in the box, right? He's and that night with like two 25 millimeter yeah. bases. And he's you're like, like, okay. He's like roller skating. Um, Kr Quinn, yeah. You know what? I was hoping GW would do the 40k base chart, and it's not happening. I was really hoping it would to avoid this, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, Decore, one last thing, and then we'll jump back in. So we're running a little long, but no big deal. Uh, Heavy metal in Karn is on a 60 mil, and the instructions say 60 mil, but it comes on an 80 mil. <laughs> and things like that, and that's why like a lot of people that were criticizing it on the other side, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, base chart, finally, we've been asking for this for years, but you should be super strict and say only one base size for every model. And then I was like, man, if you really dig into this, that's seriously not really, it's, it's not realistic. Um, and then the perfect example is how some models are now coming on 28 millimeter bases, which you can't even buy. So how could you enforce that? You can't say all of you have to switch to 28 millimeter bases and then they go, where do I get these? And you're like, figure it out, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's complicated. It, it's, it was way more complicated than I thought it would be. Um, yeah, and then the Age of Sigmar base chart for GW, because I saw a couple people mention that. Um, that was good on GW, uh, but the Age of Sigmar community had been requesting that since Fantasy. Uh, when since they switched made the switch from fantasy age of sigmar because of the square bases so so not only did gw have a leg up on that base chart uh, because that community had already been requesting that but also the age of sigmar range especially at the time when they made the base chart it was and is significantly smaller than the 40k range by by not i don't know by a lot but it's definitely there's definitely less age of sigmar models than there are 40k models um, i'm not creating an excuse for gw but that might be the reason why we have one for age of sigmar and not 40k yeah, and you know, I, I can't speak for GW, but it, it came. I came to realize that it was on us <clears> to do it if we were going to do it at all. And uh, for standardization, for for especially competitive play, it's really important for narrative play, for open play. Um, don't worry about it, like because that's not what people are there for, right? They're there to just have a, a mutual storytelling, fun experience. The base size is not really as important, so don't sweat it. Um. <clears throat> Uh, so moving on. Yep. All right. So this is an announcement that I, I kind of want to um, pitch to everyone or uh, tell everyone about. Um, that's the Frontline Gaming is having a sale in our San Diego location in store uh, between our store hours, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. a Monday on December 23rd. Though if you came in on Friday or if you came in a little early on Tuesday or whatever, I might still cut you a deal. Uh, the goal is to cut back on the amount of stuff that we're moving. So we're having a moving sale with screaming hot deals on new inbox Game Workshop product and secondhand shop stuff. Now, I'm staring at a big pile of secondhand shop stuff right now. We have a lot. I also know of some stuff that has been sitting in there for a little too long, maybe a couple Space Marine Commanders, some other stuff in there that could probably get sold. Uh, So there won't be a blanket percentage off other than the normal 10% off are already 15% off in-store sale. Uh, however, look for some stuff to be as close as 50% off uh, for all of it. I'm gonna take a look at all of it, figure out what the percentages are, um, what I can sell it for. But for the most part, there should be a lot of good deals to be had. Uh, yeah, we're, like, we're gonna have deals on uh, new inbox product that are lower than what we can even, we're not allowed to even say how low it's gonna be uh, due to our agreement with Games Workshop. So. There, there's going to be some screaming deals because we don't, we just don't want to move all this stuff. Um, so we're just going to try and blow it all out. So if you want to come by, you can get some really, really good deals right before Christmas and just clean up. Secondhand shops already smoking hot deals and they're going to be discounted even down. 
again, it's going to save us from moving at all. And the other upside is that you get a chance to get a shot at it before everybody at the LVO does when they usually clean us out. So yeah, come on by. Uh, and again, that's the San Diego location, not Vegas. And uh, just to be super clear, uh, we don't have any FLG mats or ITC terrain here anymore. That's all in Vegas now. So I know it's kind of confusing, but this is a sale that's going to apply pretty much only to like Games Workshop stuff. Yeah, and also, also, also to be more and more clear, uh, you cannot call in and place an order or email us asking us on Monday. We're going to be very busy with the sale on Monday. Uh, unfortunately, it is only for our location here. We'd prefer to just get everything out. Uh, so sorry if you don't live in San Diego. Yeah, the idea is to physically get rid of product so that we don't have to move it. <laughs> and also, we wanted to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, non-denominational whatever maybe you're gonna have some fun and do some pagan rituals i don't know i don't care whatever you do have fun hopefully you get to spend some time with your family if you're overseas you're deployed or something like that thank you for what you're doing but uh, we hope you enjoy this holiday season because we will not be broadcasting next wednesday that's christmas eve all right ITC updates. Uh, if you like the ITC, you like what it's about, you think it's been positive for your hobby and your community. Uh, if you want to support the Mustache Fund, just kidding. <laughs> Consider supporting the ITC Patreon for as little as $1 a month. None of the money goes towards my mustache, unfortunately. Although if someone gives enough, I might shave it. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Uh, all the money goes back into the ITC. It helps pay for server fees, trophies, <clears throat> man hours, all that stuff. Uh, upcoming 40K ITC events. We're coming into the slow part of the season. It used to be that December was a dead month, and now it's not even that. It's slow, but it's still not what it was. Um, we still have quite a few events coming up this weekend. Go out and check it out. No GTs or majors, though. Although we do have a Toys for Tots charity 40K event in the Redding, California. That's pretty cool. Five events. That's That's like... A, a, a landslide for tournaments in December yeah. compared to previous years. In the weekend before Christmas. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah, so a relatively slow uh, weekend. Obviously, that's normal. Next weekend's usually really slow too. And then it starts to pick up with events that are like last chance to get your points before the end of the season. All right, 40K ITC current top five. Jim Vessel continues to lead the pack. I believe some of the events from last weekend still haven't been uploaded. Um, but Richard Siegler currently second place, and he has been on absolute fire, really, really kicking ass. And again, I know everyone's like the, the, the Space Marine menace has got everybody running scared, but uh, Tao has been kicking the crap out of, uh, well, Richard Siegler and Brian Pullen have been kicking the crap out of Space Marines with their Tao. And uh, it's interesting, Space Marines, at least stateside, haven't been as dominant as people thought. Um, we're seeing Tau really giving a run for the money. And now Eldar, Psychic Awakening has been around long enough for like these really, really powerful combos to percolate out through the community. And we're starting to see Eldar giving Space Marine killer lists, which traditionally they've always been the Space Marine killers. So I'm really curious to see how it goes down at the, at the LVO. Um, I, I think there's gonna be a lot of Space Marines in the finals. I don't think they're gonna win it. No, no, I agree 100%. There's also a lot of really uh, I don't want to say bad, but there's not also a lot of players who play Space Marines who are not top-level players because they're such a popular army. 
uh, which gives a lot of those people practice as well at tournament levels against Space Marine players who maybe won't be able to beat them if, if you're a high-level player. So it's just, it'll be interesting to see. And yeah, I think the Space Marine win percentage will drop down significantly in Delvio, probably somewhere closer to 55 instead of the high 60s or mid 60s. People are adapting to it. <clears throat> and then Psychic Awakening and Chapter Approved helped a lot of armies. Sorry, Gene Sealer Colt, but a lot of other armies really benefited. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, my prediction is that the finals will be like four Space Marine players, but they're not going to win it. We'll see. Uh, Nick Rose in third place, Nick Nanavati in fourth, and John Lennon in fifth. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm, I'm really curious to see, because I know a lot of the, you know, the known names, like the best players are actually shifting away from Space Marines right now. And they're going to Eldar, they're going to some of the other armies, like Chaos is really, really got some, like, it's going to be very interesting to see what Chaos lists do well at the LVO, because it's so new, their new combos, that a lot of people aren't even aware of them. Yeah, it, it won't be, it, there was a huge exodus of top players going to Space Marines, and so I imagine with LVO, from what I'm seeing, it'll be about half of those players that did move to Space Marines will probably switch back to another faction. So we'll still have a lot of top players running Space Marines, uh, but you will see some definite, some surprises and some really awesome lists. Yeah, and it's, it's curious too, because Iron Hand still reigns supreme in the United States, but Imperial Fists have been dominant in the UK. And we got Manny Chima coming over, and I'm, his, his Imperial Fist list is very nasty. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes down. It's going to be a hell of a final to the season, because it looked like Jim was just going to dominate everybody. But now with the way everything is shaken up and how big the LVO has become, it's seriously, it's anybody's game. It's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Well, one final point uh, that I want to make, and it's kind of uh, an ode to how much I love this community. And that was uh, Jim Vessel actually posted uh, congratulations to Richard Siegler for passing him. Because even though that event isn't recorded, uh, Richard Siegler's major win this month did put him in first place over Jim Vessel. And the scores will reflect that as soon as those points get in. Uh, but Jim congratulated Richard, similar to when James Cameron reached out to the MCU guys and congratulated them for passing you know, his movie Avatar. Uh, and, and I think that's really cool. I think that kind of gentlemanly sportsmanship legitimizes our community and legitimizes what we do. Uh, and to have the number one player who had been number one all year uh, to just give kudos where kudos is earned, um, you know, it kind of fooled in my heartstrings a little. You know what, since we're fluffing old Jim Vassal, turns out he has, uh, or I don't know if he's the sole proprietor, but his business, The Virtuous Pie, that was their fifth restaurant that yeah, they opened. They, they opened their fifth restaurant. Good for them. Yeah, Jim. Jim's uh, Jim's on a roll. He had a good year this Good year. for them, man. I, I admire the entrepreneurial spirit. Five uh, pizza places, that is awesome. Congratulations. Uh, number one in the ITC hobby track, too. Yep, Jim is number one with a commanding lead. I don't think that's gonna change. Uh, second place, we got Carl Payne, and this is the ITC Hobby Track. And uh, Carl has jumped into second place ahead of Lou Rollins. Lou, one of the nicest guys in 40K. So nice. him, him, Jim, and Richard Siegler also is an extremely nice individual. Uh, he's in third. He won it last year. We got Paul Winters in fourth, and Dominique Corette in fifth. Congratulations. Looking at the Age of Sigmar competitive track, we got the French overlord Jeremy Vessier in first place. Followed by James O'Brien, who's jumped up into second. Uh, Alex Gonzalez in third. Anthony Lawrence in fourth. And Matt Pashby in fifth. Uh, the event at the Las Vegas Open for Age of Sigmar is, I believe, the second biggest in North America. Um, very, It's going to be awesome, too, to see how this finishes up. Because Slaves of Darkness is out. 
And I'm not good enough at Age of Sigmar to make a qualitative statement, but it looks really strong to me. So I'm going to be very interested to see if they can break up kind of the dominance that uh, the, the Hedonites of Slaanesh, I think the Slaanesh Hedonites, the Slaanesh uh, faction, which has been like the Space Marines of Age of Sigmar, have been crushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be interested to see if they can shake that up. Uh, Age of Sigmar, ITC Hobby Track Top 5. We've got Rich Waters in first place, followed by Jeremy Vessier. Matt Beasley in third, Alex Gonzalez in fourth, and Matthias Crucial in fifth. Yeah, I expect these numbers to shake up too with the with the LVO. Yeah, big time as well. Uh, Shadespire, our current top five. Ivan Cho continues to lead the pack with a dominating lead, 133 point lead. That's massive. Uh, he also is the only one that has he has the most events too, so that helps. Jonathan Colson in second, Tony Field in third, Matt Martin in fourth. Daniel Velasquez in fifth. And again, there's three different Shadespire events at the LVO. So the, the, the rankings are just going to just get turned on their head <clears throat> after that. Uh, and Kill Team, current top five. Michael T. Holy sitting in first place. Kill Team Academy, Mr. Alex Torbert in second. Janice Gilhelm in third. Alex Squires in fourth. And George Rollins in fifth. And again, the LVO is going to be, uh, as long as we don't have big-time attrition, is going to be the only major, the first major for Kill Team uh, since it came out, so that's very exciting. Um, uh, can I say something before we move to paint studio, paint commissions? Of course. Uh, so, uh, before we close out the episode, um, I wanted to make a special announcement from Chapter Tactics. Uh, we did hit 200 patrons, which was a goal that I set at the beginning of the year. Um, this is a big goal. Uh, it's not set in stone yet because the payments haven't gone through to December, and usually there's some attrition at the uh, every pay period, you know, which is fair. Um, but if this goal continues throughout all of 2020, um, it'll mean that I get to start setting money aside to fly out co-hosts or other people out to majors, super majors, where they can either participate in the events or more importantly, cover the events. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to try and push towards. It's something that I think we desperately need. Uh, you do see people like the Honest Wargamer Rob who do travel to events and do cover them. And also Jason Horn from the Iron Halo stream, he does it as well as Down Under Parent, uh, Down Under. Uh, network guys who also do it in Australia. So there is some people doing that. Um, but I wanted to join on that and try and get some of these super majors covered like Adepticon and ETC that have traditionally in the past had lighter coverage than other super majors. Um, so it, it's something really cool. It's something that I think Chapter Tactics is uh, uniquely positioned to capitalize on. Um, and that's really exciting. And then of course, if you do want to uh, sign up for the Patreon this month, at the end of the month or at the end of the year, we're going to be giving away a free airline credit or a plane ticket out to one of our big frontline gaming events, the LVO 2021, SoCal Open 2020, or the Bay Area Open 2020 as well. And that'll be uh, given out to one lucky patron. So if you're interested in that, it's only $5, $5 raffle ticket to get a potentially you know, very expensive plane ticket. So. Nice. That's awesome. Let's take a look at some of these awesome commissions completed by the FLG Paint Studio. And hilariously, I just noticed that when Mariana took this first picture, uh, they're fully magnetized. She put all the guns. Well, this this is correct. This is how the Tau players roll in the battle. They've got like eight guns on their suit. <laughs> this guy is ready to rock. <laughs> this is this is lemon rust part two. I didn't even notice that until right he's, now. And he's even holding his finger up like, yeah, yeah look yeah. at me. I've got the guns. He got all the guns, <laughs> all the guns. So he's obviously been magnetized to to carry a variety of weapons. But you know what? He said, "F this. I'm bringing 
all of them. Wow, you did it on the crisis suits too. I love it. <laughs> These crisis suits are loaded. There's like guns there. on the guns. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. But as you can see, the paint job is beautiful. And we'll magnetize them for you so that you might be able to do something sneaky. Stick some extra guns. <laughs> These Grey Knight Paladins are beautiful. They yeah. make me cry. They're it's, it's absolutely fantastic. The basing is ludicrous. Like little flowers on it and oh everything. Oh my gosh. Uh, this, the, the freehand on Drago's flag. Yeah, they're uh, extremely oh. well painted. It's Drago with some Paladins. Of course, you can see more pictures if you go to flgpaintstudio.com. Uh, really, really solid, solid commission. The basing, I mean, obviously the paint job's awesome, but like the water and the flowers and the grass. Oh, yeah. It, it's superb. Oh, yeah. Really good. Uh, and then a really fun, also great paint job, but a really fun one <clears throat> is some Angry Marines. Um, we've been doing this for this client for a while, and uh, he had some executioners added. Um, they're, they're pretty they're pretty funny. The, the gunner and the turrets giving the, the traditional Angry Marine one-finger salute. He <laughs> uh, All right, let's jump over and answer some questions. Germanticor, Space Marines haven't been dominant. Yeah, they have. I think maybe he's responding to somebody in the chat. Okay, let's, let's yeah, scroll, scroll kicking, up a little they've bit. They've been kicking butt. Uh, any uh, war, warp talent second handies? I don't know. So Don? so Don, you can actually, if anyone has any questions about specific secondhand models, uh, let's say you're one of those people who needs models to repaint or to stop borrow, playing Borrowhammer, uh, you can always email me at frontlinegamingsecondhandshop at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also find that email on our website, frontlinegaming.org. Um, but yeah, just uh, reach out to me and ask me if we have any models. And then if we do, I'll be happy to uh, tell you how many models we have, their conditions, and then also get you a quote for you so that you can buy, purchase them and get them shipped out to you. All right, let's see what else we got going on. Bum, 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 bum. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Tomodachi wants us to strap models to a dolphin. <laughs> and send it to Hawaii for me. We're actually going to send uh, the salty banana out in a boat, a banana boat. And yeah, out to the all the way out to Hawaii. Good luck. That'd be fun. Grod Sounds, is Frontline allowing the chapter-proof terrain rules? Uh, are we allowing it? If you want to, oh, following it. Um, we're not changing anything mid, well, end of season. We're sticking with um, the way we've been doing things. Uh, we can explore some of these ideas for the next season, but we try not to make big changes mid-season. Every time we do, it's accompanied by much salt and grumbling, and it's just it's that we try to avoid it unless we feel it's absolutely necessary. And in this instance, we did not. Yeah, and to be fair, that a, a big change like that would be more something we adopt for the new season. Yeah. Uh, so that's something we'd have to look at for the new season. <laughs> Tomodachi Express Reese's girlfriend just donated a thousand dollars to shave the mustache font. <laughs> Uh, let me see. Does tell us? Yeah, that one guy is saying that uh, Brian and Richard's list are designed to kill Marines, but yeah, they're doing that on purpose because they know when they go to an event, it's going to be the odds of them playing Marines are extremely high. And, and I'm not even sure if if they're designed because Richard Siegler and he's and playing the same. Brian list. Pullen have been playing that list since. If you listen to Chapter Tactics this week, we actually did the entire uh, 2019 year in review. Uh, and in that episode, I do talk about Richard Siegler's first uh, major win in March, 
right? And he was running a similar list to what he's running now. Uh, so he and Brian Pullen have been running that list basically all year. Yeah. Um, so to say it was geared to beat Space Marines is probably incorrect. Uh, maybe it, it's some just tweaks. A really, yeah, maybe some tweaks. Maybe some tweaks. But it was just a really, really good list, and they play it so well. Um, so to look at the entire Tau faction and say that they beat Space Marines might be incorrect because then we would see a lot more Tau players doing well in beating Space Marines, which the stats don't reflect. Yeah, it's, it's right. mostly Brian, it's and, just, yeah, if you, Brian and Richard. <laughs> yeah, we, we took out, if you take out Richard Siegler and Brian Pullen from the Tau stats completely, the Tau faction goes from above average to uh, average, basically. Yeah, it's funny how <clears throat> one player or a small group of players can literally carry a faction like Brandon Grant is carrying Astra Militarum on his so back. Funny. If you take his results out of it, they drop like significantly. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because it's like, he's obviously an exceptional player, but it's like, how come other Astra Militarum players can't at least like kind of emulate what he's doing? Cause he's creaming space rings with pure Astra Militarum. And like the information's out there. I'm like, how is more people not emulating this success? Yeah, yeah. It's And this is just another example that uh, player skill definitely does uh, huge. It does impact uh, an ability to, for an army to win uh, an event. Germanticor, what? Space Marines haven't been dominant? I'm reading this in what I imagine he's typing it as. Probably wrong, but what army in the history of 40k has ever been that dominant in GT top tens? Ha ha ha. Well, we had it earlier in the year. It was uh, <laughs> the castle. Oh, no, was it this year? That was last I year. I think when he means army, I think he means faction. But the I still think the most, the single most dominant list we've ever had was the castle list. Yes. Uh, and Inari, Inari were right there. Yeah, Inari were probably Cause remember, arguably the more dominant. They, I don't think they were more dominant than Space Marines because the problem with Inari. And I'm sorry for cutting you no, off. No, no, it's okay. Uh, th the thing about Inari is, is their play rate was hovering around the 8 to 10% range, whereas Space Marines now... 26, 27. 25, 26%. Yeah. Uh, and then when you start getting into the T-Whip level, so 4 and 0, the play rate jumps up to almost you know 50%, 40% in some majors. Uh, and those were numbers that rivaled... Uh, Space Marine Battle Companies back in 7th edition when there was significantly less variety, right? And so I remember the LVO in 2017, uh, Space Marine Battle Companies almost made up 40% of the entire field. The, yeah. and, and almost all of them were Battle Companies. And I didn't even take into account Dark Angels Battle Companies as well. Um, so... Yeah, it was... Uh... They are, they are definitely the boogeyman right now, but we've seen this before many times, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I think it was two years ago. There was, was it two or three years ago where you know, were like six or like five of the top eight in the finals at the LVO? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, we've seen this before. It's just, I think it feels more oppressive because everybody has a Space Marine army. Yeah, and Inari in our, in were dominant for so long. And we were able to overcome that as a community um, with a new addition, to be fair. Uh, but Inari were so, so, so strong for so long. Uh, and, and like we said, the big difference between Inari and Space Marines is win percentage. It's the number of people playing the faction. Yeah. PJ Pants, what's up, buddy? Haven't seen you in the chat in a while. It's good to see you. Hope you're doing good. Uh, Mr. Bridges asks, are Sisters Battle of the Dark Horse for LVO? You know what? I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, but it was so long ago that we worked on Sisters of Battle, I literally don't remember even what they do. Like, the codex is out, and I could go look at it, obviously, but, like, we tested that so long. I'm like, it's blank. I'm like, sure, they might be. <laughs> For me, they are the true Dark Horse because I can't remember anything. Yeah, the, the, I think 
I think no. Um, they might be the a dark horse for 2020, the 2020 season. Uh, but something Brandon Grant said that uh, really stuck out to me on Chapter Tactics, and that was that even though they got a codex, it came in a limited release, so not everyone has the codex. And on top of that, they're not really they didn't roll out all the models at yeah. once. So by the time the LVO rolls around, we don't know how many models, Plastic Sisters models, they will have released. And on top of that, even if they do release them in early January, the chances of people buying the models, building them, painting them, and then writing a coherent army list for the LVO with those new plastic models is very low. And also, no one's buying Metal Sisters right now. I know, the Metal Sisters, uh, two years ago, sold like wildfire. Now, I'm having a very difficult time moving the few Metal Sisters models that we do have in the secondhand store. Uh, and and obviously, that's because no one wants to buy Metal Sisters Yeah, they anymore. want the plastics. They're, yeah, they're, they're expensive, they're heavy. Uh, the sculpts are definitely inferior. Um, so, you know, Sisters are probably not going to make a big splash with LVO. I might be wrong, but... Well, so, I mean, I hope they do. That'd be cool. It'd be cool to see a sisters player do well at the LVO. And in, in the chat, people are talking about uh, the Castlin list. That is the most winning list we've ever seen. They got up to almost 80% win ratio. Um, and it was one very specific list, you know, and it was at one specific time before they got nerfed. But that was like the Colossus of 40K insofar as we can measure it accurately. It was the most winning army we've ever seen. Iron Hands pre-nerf were getting up there. But it was such a short window of time that they had to do their thing. That two weeks. Yeah, it was. It was basically Inarius and the Castellanus were the two big. And what's actually really funny is the LVO last year. That those two lists were in the finals. It was Inari, Alex Harrison's Inari versus Brandon Grant's Castellanus, and that narrative was overshadowed by just the simple fact that Brandon Grant was playing Alex Harrison in the finals, and then Brandon. Won. And then the most that, exciting final, like the last two years, the LVO, the final to determine. Who wins the OVO, who wins the ITC has been the most exciting and dramatic right. finish ever. Like as an organizer, you don't really have a dog in like who wins. Like you have friends and stuff and things, ways in your imagination you would like it to go. But for an organizer, especially when we're trying to push this out to make it viewer friendly, to make people engaged, to, to want to get excited about the game the way that we're excited about playing the game, you want an exciting narrative. And my gosh, the last two years has just been, from a narrative perspective, more than I could have ever hoped for. Yeah. Like you get these, these stories like build up in the course of the event, you know, with, uh, with Tony and Nick the year before. Yeah. And, and it's really cool. Go ahead. It just, I, I mean, it's like, can this year possibly live up to it? I hope so. It's the biggest LVO ever. Are we going to get that drama where Brandon wins on the last roll of the dice? That was yeah. insane. Yeah, and it was a testament to how big that blew up narratively because it completely overshadowed the fact that the cast and list and mixed Eldar were once again in the finals, which I actually thought everyone was going to focus on going into the game. I was like, oh no, eye rolling, Imperium castle and list, nerf the castle and but. All, all of that went by the wayside the minute dice started rolling, and it, it was great. It and was there was awesome. a huge was crowd of people watching. Like, we're get, we're getting there, Pablo. We're getting there. It's close. Every it's, year we get a little bit closer. Yeah. We get a little bit closer, and it's I it's not far from now when we're gonna have like maybe not a stadium full of people, but we're gonna have bleachers full of people, and there's tools being built that are gonna help make it more exciting and easy and accessible to watch and understand what you're seeing. 
like we're getting close i can see the top of the mountain and that's why we're doing Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that we're doing like you gotta make it look good because otherwise who's gonna tune in yeah like if you tune in to watch golf and a guy's in a banana hammock and uh drinking a miller light uh, who knows somebody might want to see that but you know like they have there's a, there's appearance standards like you got to present it in a good way yeah and we're getting close and, and let me tell you uh one thing i learned at this year's lvo uh was people it is much more fun to watch a 40k stream live with all your buddies around you than it is to watch it on a twitch stream and i think that that is a direction that we can possibly head because i remember sitting down watching them play and there was a huge ring of people and, and it's, you can feel the excitement oh yeah everyone sat there for for two or three hours however long the match took they're everyone drinking beer there, and just like talking. super engaged uh, whenever something interesting would happen it would everyone kind of murmur and go like, oh brandon just lost an important unit and then uh everyone was watching it also on their twitch on their twitch on their phones um and and i have to say that it rivaled the electricity that i felt when i went to my first big league of legends event esport event because that was a, a game that i hated watching played and but when i went to the event itself i was like i'm not gonna have any fun but it was electric and yeah. I, I went by myself with no friends and just just like the infectious nature of watching it live um having people cheer and cheering with them it there's definitely something psychological about watching and experiencing something live with other people who share your passion. And I absolutely think that that's the right direction to go. You said it extremely well. And like I said, we're, we're getting there. And at the event last year, I was in the other hall and that's all anybody was talking about. What happened? Who's winning? Uh, oh, he just got, oh, his castle blown up. Oh no, uh, you know, it was just like, it was electric. It was really, it really was. So. You know, and that's why we have to make some sacrifices as a group to get, to get there. Because I promise, when we get to the top of the mountain, everyone's going to be glad that it happened. Everyone's going to be like, "This is badass," and we all can do it as a group. So, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. But yeah, I can't wait. And oh my, one last little tidbit. Oh. Not this year. Maybe not even in 2021. I'm working on it, but in 2022, I know that's going way into the future, more farther than most people care about, but hopefully in 2021, for 2022, for sure, the, the spectacle of what we'll be, what we will be doing will blow people away. It's going to be utterly unprecedented. You were there. You came with it. Did you, you came with us? Um, I did. I did. Uh, I didn't unfortunately get a chance to see everything. However, uh, just talking about, you know, the plans for the future, what we have plans in place that we are setting in motion now, uh, things that we're doing that we certainly can't tell you about now, but I, I wish I could. Um, I'm so excited for, for competitive 40K and what we do two years down the road and where we bring the LVO. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just like, like I'm a little overwhelmed right now because I'm so excited. Dude, when people see what is going to happen, <laughs> like guys are going to like, guys already get super, and gals too, get super nervous just wait until we roll out, until we tell people see what it's going to be at that stage because yeah. we've already the, the the deals are signed the it's all done deal um it's going to be exciting absolutely so we'll, we'll leave it at that anyway uh, thank you for hanging in there with us for this extra long extra awesome episode of signals from the front line number 600 in 67 we hope you enjoyed it and again we're not going to be talking to you next week it's christmas eve 
but the week after we will. Please come on by on Monday, the 23rd uh, of December for the in-store San Diego location, big moving sale between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Get some good deals. And until then, happy holidays, and we will talk to you in two weeks.